0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. In our own archdiocese, beloved in the Lord, and in the entire patriarchate of Antioch in the east, is a very special day. I'm presuming you follow the liturgical days on the way the apostles wanted them followed, namely by the calendar hanging on the refrigerator. The reference of that in the New Testament are thin, but very clearly there, I think. You will notice that the readings appointed for the day on the calendar on your refrigerator are wrong because they're made up for the Orthodox Church in general. The Antiochians don't follow the calendar on this particular day. On the Sunday before the Triodion starts, the gospel of this day in the Antiochian archdiocese and in the Patriarchate of Antioch and all the East is the story of a Syrian woman, Syrian Phoenician woman, So it's a special day already. In addition, it falls on the 25th of January this year, which means we celebrate the feast of the second bishop of Antioch, Ignatius of Antioch. That's Antioch in Syria. The Syrophoenician woman, another way of saying that, where is the deacon? Oh, you're sitting down back there. Oh no, that's all right. Sit down. That's pro- well. We got chairs down here. You don't need it. Another way of saying that is she was Lebanese. Okay, she's Lebanese. Okay. This morning we read the gospel about this Lebanese woman, Syrophoenician, from the region of Tyre and Sidon, which are Phoenician cities. It's also interesting, at least I think it is, that we read the Syrian version of this story in Matthew 15, and not the Roman version in Mark 7. And the two are very very similar, but also dissimilar in some key ways. Next week, we'll be reading the story of the two men who went up to the temple to pray the beginning of the (coughs) Triodion. So we'll talk about prayer in the temple next week. So I'm planning to speak two sermons on prayer. I might also preach on prayer this Wednesday night where all Orthodox Christians are expected to be in church for the feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple, the 40th day after Christmas, and therefore the end of the Christmas season, when according to the law in Leviticus, the child Jesus is taken to the temple and his mother is taken to be, to be purified. I may preach on prayer again this Wednesday night, but at least we're going to have six points on prayer. Three today at least. Okay. I mean, three today. I'll talk about six aspects of prayer. And to do this in preparation for Lent, which falls exactly four weeks from tonight. Can you believe it? We haven't yet finished the Christmas season. (laughs) And Lent falls four weeks from tonight. I can see the excitement in your eyes. But I'll be saying some things over these next several weeks in preparation for Lent. This morning first, let's talk about prayer and the Christian family. The woman comes today before Jesus and she prays for her daughter. Prayer has something to do with her experience of family. I speak today on this, this point as something extremely precious to my heart. That's the importance of prayer in the structure, family prayer, in the structure. Of the Christian family. I have strong feelings about this for several reasons, not the least of which is that I'm Irish. I know there are disadvantages to that. I'm aware of that. But as Irish, I remember every single night, and I don't remember a single exception to it during my entire childhood, every single night the whole family prayed the rosary, Every single night that was that was central to our family we'd not would we would no more dispense with that than we would with a meal it wasn't just my mother and father and us five children we, we did this in our homes I mean rather often perhaps every two weeks for long periods of time we spent Sunday evenings with our grandparents. We'd come over, it would be a family time, larger family, and our cousins would be there, okay. Made no difference. Family rosary was there in that household. All my cousins were raised this way. The idea of not praying the rosary, at least not praying at night with the family, unthinkable to me. I still have memories of my, my Uncle John leading the rosary when we, when we visit our grandparents on Sunday. The day and the week were structured by the worship of the family, except when I had a very high fever, which didn't happen that often when I was a child. I don't remember ever missing church, ever missing church on Sunday. The idea would miss church for a sporting event or sporting activity, or cultural activity—that's not even on the—that's not even on the charts. The missing of church was considered matter for confession. Okay. You don't skip that. That's the important thing you do every week. Nothing takes the place of that. I recently had occasion to talk to you about the family experience back on the eighth of this month, I think, was it when we had the baptisms? Talked about baptism because we baptized a family into this parish. Last Sunday I talked to you about this in connection with Timothy. We reflected last week together on the education of Timothy, who grew up with the sacred scriptures. His family were devout Jews. Grandmother and his mother were both Jews, and they instructed him in the scriptures, and it was daily prayer. When I was a boy, We had a motto. It has the ring to it of truth, although I'm not sure truth always has a ring. It was the family that prays together stays together. I don't know if that's borne out by statistics. I don't know. But it sure sounds right to me that the family that prays together stays together. This is not a matter of legalism, beloved. It's not legalism that we eat three times a day. Why do we eat three times a day? Because we need to. And that's why the family prays together, because it needs to. The soul must be at least as nourished as the body. This prayer of the family shapes the the character of the children and their whole attitude toward human existence. What the Germans call, sometimes we Irish have to borrow from the Germans, sometimes we even marry them. (laughs) What the Germans call the Weltanschauung, which really means the appearance of the world, how the world appears, how the Welt appears. St. Ignatius himself, according to the tradition, was raised in a Christian home. He was raised as a little boy in Antioch. Peter and Paul, Timothy, Silas, Titus, Luke, were all there in that church when he was a little boy growing up. Think about that kind of influence. Think about that when you read the seven letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch. It's inexcusable there would be an orthodox adult who hasn't read those letters. That would be inexcusable, the seven letters of Ignatius of Antioch. I remember when I first read them at age 18. I had never read them before, and we were not orthodox at the time, but I remember being blown away by these seven letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch. Think that he was raised in a Christian home. As I was preparing the sermon this past week, I kept thinking about it. That all my brothers and sisters, all of them, are believers. Every single one of them is a believer. Not one has been lost to the Christian faith. I just that is astounding to me. But enough of Irish. Let's move to point two. Prayer and the presence of Christ. Prayer in the presence of Christ. The psalm often used at the beginning of prayer is Psalm 94, Psalm 95 in Hebrew. Come, let us worship the Lord. Let us heartily rejoice in the strength of our salvation. Let us come before his presence. Let us come before his presence. Today's woman in the gospel is described Hede Elthusa, Althusa, the feminine present participle of Erkomai, to come. She comes before the presence of Christ. Whether together or in the privacy of our own hearts and our own conscience, prayer always begins when we are present to Christ. It is person to person, ourselves to Christ. Mm -hmm. Which is why so many of us have the custom of praying before the icons. I've gotten to the point in my life now when I can't... At least I don't feel comfortable when I pray the hours if I'm not in the presence of the icon, icon of our Lord, usually the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. We are drawn to Christ by the influence of the Father. Remember mm-hmm. what Paul says in Galatians, when God, who formed me from the womb, revealed, okay, God revealed His Son in me. What Jesus says to Simon Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, everybody in the world, whether they know it or not, okay. way deep down, had this yearning for the Father. It's the business of the Holy Spirit to activate this yearning for God, where God draws us to His Son. Last evening, when Hannah and her team were chanting all those those lovely melodies and texts associated the Feast of St. Ignatius, and I was just standing there listening to them. They were all coming from his letters. Mm -hmm. The living water flowing through his soul, the living water going through the soul and crying out, come to the Father. Okay? Erku pros come to the Father. Okay? Prayer, likewise, is often accompanied by, we hope, the reading of a gospel story. That's why I've urged you one-on-one when I've talked to you about prayer in counseling and in, in the confessional to build every day around a gospel story where you commune with Christ in the context of a story from the gospel. That's our daily bread. So daily bread. We read the gospel. If you go back a few centuries in my own family tree, I'm suspecting that there was a lot of illiteracy. You know, the Irish were the persecuted people, very much a persecuted people. Our priests were slaughtered by the English overlord and had to celebrate prayer with families in private because we were persecuted for the faith. We've had the gospel stories and I believe perhaps in my own family only one person in the family could even be able to read but you read the gospel stories. You see we Christians do not pray to a nebulous God We come before the face of God. The face of God is the face of Christ. So always center our prayer on the person of Christ. Third this morning, I told Denise the sermon would probably be a lot longer this morning since I only had five pages. If I have ten, it's much shorter. Third aspect of prayer is that Prayer always includes the gift of self. Prayer always includes, all prayer includes the gift of self. All prayer is sacrificial. We don't pray for what we get out of it. And whether we pray or not, it must never, never be determined by how we feel. Never let your feelings determine whether or not you pray. Never let your feelings do that. Even when we we plead for gifts from God, prayer is always a gift of ourselves to God. Now look at the prayer of the woman this morning. As it's described in Matthew, it's not the same in Mark, but in the in the Syrian version in Matthew 15, there's the way it's described. He de elthusa, and she coming, of prostrated herself before him, legusa, saying, kiriya kiriya buithimi, Lord help me, very short prayer, Lord help me, but notice even that Lord help me, she's prostrated before him, there's the gift of herself to Christ. You see, we do not pray as part of a quest for personal fulfillment. I, this really needs to be stressed in an age when people still talk about spirituality. You mean, I've been here for 19 years now. How many times have you heard me talk about spirituality? Much less, for God's sake, orthodox spirituality. There is no such thing. Okay. There's piety. There's aphsibia, aphsibia has nothing to do with the cultivation of spirituality. It has to do with the discipline of piety and reverence toward God. This quest for religious experience, which has taken up so much of our culture, is very, very destructive because i become the center of my prayer. So we don't pray as a quest for personal fulfillment. We pray in order to be in communication with Christ because he is not very far from us. Let me ask for a show of hands. I'm going to close my eyes so I won't watch. <laughs> how many of you are familiar with a very ancient text entitled The Lorica, The Breastplate of St. Patrick? As I say, I've got my eyes closed. I'm not going to see how many of you. Those of you who are not acquainted with that prayer, Google it. Google the breastplate of St. Patrick, one of the oldest prayers in the Christian church and one of the most orthodox. The one that begins I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity. I bind this day to me forever by power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his, his death on the cross, his resurrection. Christ within me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ above me, Christ all around me, Christ outside, Christ inside, totally immersed in Christ. It's Christ-centered prayer. I bind into myself today. You see, prayer involves the sacrifice of ourselves to Christ, communion with Christ as our Savior. Next week, we're going to be talking about the man in the temple. I'll say more about that who over and over again beats his breast. He beats his breast in repentance. The beating of the breast is one of the most primitive signs of prayer. I've always thought about it as something like knocking on a door. Pound on you. Is there anybody in there? Okay. The whole world needs to be beating on its breast. Is there anybody in there? St. Paul Describes prayer with the mind. Remember 1 Corinthians? He says, Five words in prayer with the mind is better than 10,000 with the tongue. Remember that? Five prayers with the mind, with the noose, is better than 10,000 in the tongue. Count the ratio yourself. It's one in 2,000. Prayer with the mind is absolutely essential, not just prayer with the lips, but prayer with the mind. It has to do, beloved, with what St. Paul calls the captivity of thought, the captivity of thought. I shared with you, some of you, an email I got a few weeks ago, a young man very interested in, North, in, in investigating the Orthodox Church. He says he wasn't interested in a community of faith, but he wanted to see how the Orthodox Church felt about things. He wanted to come here and dialogue with us. I tried to be as nice as I could when I answered him. I said, you don't dialogue with an institution which has seen the rise and fall of empires. You don't dialogue with the Church of God. We're the oldest outfit in the business. You don't come in dialogue with us. Paul uses a very interesting verb. It is to make captive. Akmalotizo is the word used. Akmalotizen. Akmalotizen pan noema, to bring every thought, every noema, into thought, istin hipekuin tu Christu, to bring every thought into captivity to Christ. Every thought into captivity to Christ, so that Christ holds our thoughts captive. It's a very interesting image. The picture of Christ is captivating, captivating. Most of us think captivity—we don't want that—but somehow we don't have any problem with cap- being captivated. Okay. Some of us have been captivated. I look down here; I see somebody's been captive, completely captivated in several ways. Christ is captivating. Christ captivates our thoughts, captures our thoughts. That all our thoughts are directed to Christ. When I was reading that text, I thought of a marvelous line in a hymn by St. Thomas Aquinas, speaking to Christ. Tibi se cormeum subjugit. Tibi se cormeum subjugit. To you, my heart submits itself. To you, my heart submits itself. T B se, cor meum totum subycit. Commits itself entirely, totum subycit. Quia te contemplans, totum deficit Because gazing upon you, it entirely fails. My heart totally submits itself to you because gazing upon you, it totally fails. Prayer is one of the instruments of captivating our hearts to Christ. So he becomes the Lord of the inside of us. Amen.